and welcome to today's episode of this season on FinTech for the People. I'm Rahil Rangwala, Managing Partner of Axion Venture Lab. If you're tuning in for the first time, Axion Venture Lab is a global early stage investor in startups that are bringing affordable, well-designed financial services to underserved people across the world. This season, we've been talking about future of work and the implication of providing financial services to a new emerging workforce that engages with the labor market in unique and new ways. Our guest this episode is Jamie De Los Angeles, the founder and CEO of Advance, one of our portfolio companies that partners with payroll processors to provide early wage access to workers, allowing them to manage unexpected expenses and maintain financial stability. Thank you for joining us today, Jamie. I'm sure our listeners are keen to hear from a founder operating at the intersection of fintech and HR tech. So welcome. Hey guys, thanks for having me here. So I'm Jamie De Los Angeles. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Advance. Why don't we get started with, you know, just a quick introduction on yourself for our audience. How would you describe yourself in three words? I guess three descriptors about me. Um, I'd say I'm creative, definitely competitive, a bit of a maverick, uh, even though it's ironic that I'm generally risk averse, but I still find myself taking a lot of bold risks in life. Well, it's interesting you think of yourself as risk averse because every entrepreneur I've met is fairly risk seeking. I mean, just generally that role is risk seeking. But no, it's, it's good, good three descriptors. So let's talk a little bit about the company. Let's talk about Advance, the company you founded, and what does it do, and what is the vision for for Advance? So Advance is a fintech company that initially we built to focus on providing simple and easy access to credit to underserved employees. You know, it's grown quite a bit over the last few years, and we're seeing a parallel need in in the business segment. So we are now looking to deliver more of a holistic solution to provide value to the businesses and their employees. We started as a credit company, and we're still doing that today, but we absolutely see an opportunity to be a lot more holistic and offering non-credit product as well. Our vision really has, from the very beginning, has uh, been making financial freedom accessible to you know, the general workforce, starting with the Philippines and most recently to Vietnam. So it's, it's an endeavor that we're very, very passionate about. Awesome. The theme for this season is future work in the intersection of that with FinTech. And I think Advance really fits that given the approach you're taking and how you are acquiring these customers. But before we go into some of the, the details of that, tell us a little about these underserved customers in the Philippines right now that you're working with. And what's the typical customer? And how do you acquire them? Sure. So in terms of acquisition, our model is a B2B2C model, wherein we partner with companies and we offer our credit services directly to the employees. Again, that's evolved a little bit over the last year and a half or so, but our typical customer has been the employee of these companies. So typically these are white collar millennials, average age of 31, making about $600 a month, mid-level managerial positions in their companies. And more interestingly, 90% of which are of whom have never really, have never formally transacted with banks for loans. And as I mentioned, we are also starting to treat the businesses or these partners of ours as customers as well. And these businesses, which originally started as enterprise accounts, we now do different types of financing for even mid-sized organizations, asset light, particularly in the sectors of logistics, manpower, and telcos. And these are companies that suffer from delayed pay cycles, which prevent them from growing. So very similar to employees who experience the same. They're just unable to 
manage their cash flow situation because of all of their obligations. And we provide them with an opportunity to access credit earlier to, just to smoothen their cash flows. I'd like to dig into that a little bit, right? So we're talking about these uh, white collar millennials, right? And millennials are a very unique sub-segment in the, in, in the market today. What is that? What is their behavior like? What are their financial needs? And how do you help, you know, you talked about smoothing cash flows. How do you help address that issue for them? I don't want to use the word sad, but the reality is for many, many of these individuals, they still live paycheck to paycheck. The disparity between what they earn versus how they live is still quite wide. And we try to fill that gap by providing you know, simple access to credit through the employer so that it's a very safe medium for them to get the funds they need to address situations that don't just fall on payday. So the way we're designed as a company is we are positioned as a, as a benefit through the employers that we partner with. So we are you know, treated as a financial assistance program that employers open up to, to all of their employees who are regularized with a company. So we act as a standby facility for credit. Individuals who don't need us today are still encouraged to sign up because at any point in time, they may experience some family emergency, some medical emergency, um, some financial need when they don't have funds because payday is 15 days away. And so we're there to you know, support that by giving them access to a very simple app that they can, you know, that's designed to provide them with a, you know, emergency fund or credit line that, that gets them what they need when they need it. So how do you do this versus traditional financial service providers like banks, right? How do you, how are you able to solve for their cash flow needs while traditional, much larger, more well-entrenched incumbents can't do that? So the traditional FIs, they really are still quite conservative. And if they were to deal with individuals like some of the customers that we have, it would entail a lot of paperwork, a lot of, lot of physical appearances, just long turnaround times. And this is something that by nature is just very, very intimidating to those who don't have any formal relationship with, with banks. The way we're different is we're fully you know, digital. Um, we try to limit the process to just three steps once you've signed up. The ability to access the funds is instant, 24-7. If you were to do this with a bank, it would take days at the earliest. Um, and it's not to say, obviously, that the banks don't provide a certain level of assistance. It's really just more, the way we do it is, is to address needs that happen now, right? So if, again, there's a, an emergency at 2 a.m. On, on a Sunday, the bank is not the solution for that because they wouldn't even be open. Whereas if you're a customer of Advance, you've signed up, you have available credit, you're able to get that funneled straight to your bank account or to whatever e-wallet you need it sent to. And you're able to, again, settle settle that problem, hopefully through through us. That's a pretty compelling value prop, right? Almost like you're saying instant credit. Like, how do you, and of course, as you said, you're fully digital, you're using technology, but you're, you're also taking credit risk, you're underwriting. How are you doing this? in this almost 24-7 instant model? Yeah, so, I mean, credit is something we really have to guard. Um, but by nature of the model that we work in, you know, B2B2C, the relationship we have with the employer is, is one where they actually help us on the collection side. So we do our traditional underwriting on the companies that we work with to ensure that they're 
stable, creditworthy institutions. And then we have a more kind of data-backed approach when it comes to assessing the employees who sign up on our on our system. From there, we're able to determine credit limits based on you know certain factors. So not every employee is going to have the same credit line. Not every employee is going to have the same pricing. So it's still risk-based and our internal scoring model kind of determines that. And then again, we're protected on the collection side because it's the employer who remits the the obligation to us by way of salary deduction. Um, so every every pay cycle, it's the employer who will, you know, on the back end, we do all the magic, but it's the employer who deducts the amount that's due to advance and um, remits the remainder to the employee as, as, as salary. Yeah, it's a it's a really innovative model, the way you kind of are almost embedded in, in the employer-employee relationship, which is how you're so well positioned to one, understand this customer better, but also then to underwrite and reduce the risk of providing credit. Given that you have this unique role, what is the behavior you're seeing of these customers and how are they using the loan typically? What do you see as, are you seeing any kind of unique behavior patterns for this customer segment? You know, what was surprising to us was, number one, we purposely limited the credit lines to ensure that our, you know, that our customers would never be overexposed. So there's a balance that we have to strike being a partner to these big corporations where we can't, you know, push loans as an active product. And also we had to be very mindful about ensuring that the employees are protected. But in terms of behavior, because our app is so easy to use and it's very intuitive, we were actually surprised that there was no abuse in terms of how credit limits were used, right? And I think that was one of the big hurdles the HR practitioners had to had to overcome initially when when deciding to work with us. Because when they saw how simple the app was and how quick people would get funds, they were fully convinced that the bulk of the workforce would use it and they would just max out and it would lead to a lot of like problematic issues in the personal finance side of these employees. But the reality is it weirdly promoted a level of responsibility that we didn't even anticipate. So the average credit lines are not maximized. In fact, I think two thirds of the credit lines are used on a monthly basis. And I think for us, that's indicative of the fact that employees, because we've given them this flexibility to draw on only what they need when they need it, they're not, they're no longer pressured to draw these large amounts that you know traditional salary loan providers or some of our other indirect competitors in the market are are giving. And this is a way, and again, for us, this was very surprising. So there is a bit of like social, uh, you know, financial responsibility slash social responsibility that we're promoting through our app. At Axiom Mental Lab, you know, one of the trends that we've seen in, in Philippines is, we see this in Philippines, we see this in, in South Asia and Latam. There is a changing relationship between employers and employees. Employers are also getting smarter about using technology and how they manage their human resources, right? And, and this is this broader shift that everyone is talking about in this future of work umbrella. And then you're, you're talking about one aspect where technology is playing this critical role for managing HR, where you are able to then embed yourself in this process. But are there any other trends you're seeing as this employer-employee relationship shifts, which creates opportunity for advance or even maybe challenges for your organization? as there is this shift happening from a future of work perspective in the labor market. What are the opportunities that you see and maybe even challenges? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of opportunities. The, the fact that 
a lot of these larger companies are more aware that services like this exist means that they're also more open out to progressive benefits. And we, I think, fall into that category today where, you know, earned wage access, early wage access, these are terms that you didn't really hear five years ago. And now some of the biggest brands um, are actually using this in the benefit of providing more care to their employees. I also think that as companies start to open up to us, there's also more data available to trusted vendors. And this gives us other insights into how maybe we are able to better integrate or manage um, our relationships with with our end customers. And, you know, on the HR side, I think it actually helps them or to meet a lot of their KPIs, right? Whether or not it's retention, engagement, or recruitment. And a lot of the automation that we're seeing with technology today actually does make the lives of workers a lot easier, right? So everything from making work from home possible, hiring cross-border, um, these are all great initiatives and it actually helps us as advanced potentially become more global. You know, we've done our first regional expansion uh, in the last six months, but I think as employers continue to hire cross-border, there are opportunities for us to service these employees who maybe aren't in our current jurisdiction. And I think that that would be an amazing use case for our company. On the challenges side, of course, as as technology continues to to really impact organizations, there's also the threat to warm bodies, right? Or to the need of warm bodies. And so, you know, in a weird way, that's that's going to affect our customer base if robotics and automation become the norm for, for organizations that really rely on a large workforce. In the same vein, as I mentioned, in terms of like being able to hire cross-border, um, I think there's also this more inherent issue of like culture building, right? And being too remote. So like the advantage of technology has kind of at times negatively impacted the ability for companies to build strong culture. And this kind of leads to attrition, which also affects companies like us in a way where you're reliant on a healthy employee base. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more, but I, I would say that the big challenge for us is new entrants who, who now have the same access to, to you know, the, te- the potential technology that we're using or thinking about using. And then of course, the threat to losing those customers, losing our customers due to, you know, improved automation. That makes a lot of sense. You touched on your international expansion and, and you know, now advances truly an international company operating in two countries in Southeast Asia. Tell us a little bit about how you approach this expansion and, and how it's playing out in your long-term plans. Yeah, it was a really interesting opportunity. You know, we were thinking about doing a fundraise, to be honest, and that's how we got reconnected with with an investment group out of Vietnam. We learned that they were also very into, you know, startups and had quite a bit of a diversified for- portfolio. And they introduced us to a company that they felt was a good fit for us in terms of a kind of synergistic acquisition. So it was an HR company that actually had no credit component, but spoke the same types of customers that we do and actually worked with some really big brands in Vietnam. Um, there was an opportunity to acquire that entity as an entry point into a, a new market. Funnily enough, Vietnam is actually one of the more difficult markets to enter as a foreign player. The primary reason we actually made a go for it was because of the strategic and investor network that we were able to secure as part of this deal slash fundraise. But, you know, from a demographics perspective, we were also very excited about the opportunity. I mean, it's it shared a lot of similarities with our current market here in the Philippines. 100 million population, 
very, very low credit card penetration, 4%. Um, the Philippines, I think, is even less of 2%. And when you compare that to the countries like uh, Singapore, which is 50%, you know, that, that credit gap is just, it's too wide to ignore. And it really presents a strong opportunity in terms of providing credit to a market that just by virtue of not having access to these premium banking products can be defined as underserved. So when we learned that, you know, 85% of individuals in Vietnam, not just employees, but individuals in general still are reliant on black market vendors for credit. Again, it in a way shared a lot of similarities to the Philippines. And we thought that, why don't we try to tackle this problem here as well? So yeah, I mean, those are kind of the primary reasons we, we went for such a big challenge, strong investor and strategic network that we would be inheriting as well as a very open market that, that still felt uh, like it was big enough for us to play in. And then I guess some of the interesting statistics that aligned with, with how, we, how we view the Philippines as being a, you know, still a very sizable market for us. So, you know, this actually kind of goes really well with your descriptor of being a maverick, right? Because you're still a relatively early stage company and uh, you don't see early stage companies one, doing acquisitions, two, actually stepping into a new, completely new geography, a new jurisdiction. So it's kind of impressive how you've done that. And, and I think you've taken a very thoughtful approach, of course, but also it's because of the technology approach that you've taken, right? It's allowed you to scale much faster than what a, perhaps a traditional lender or a traditional financial services company would do because through this acquisition, you, you, you're almost replicating the same model that you have. Of course, you're customizing it in Vietnam and you have local relationships that help you customize for the local needs. But it's really interesting to hear you talk about at such an early stage, being able to make such a leap. I want to segue or I want to pivot a little bit to another part of the conversation, which is on your customer. So I know that you recently did a fairly extensive customer survey um, just to try and understand the impact. Uh, of advances value proposition. Walk us through with some of the, the insights that you learned from that and, and maybe give us a little bit of background uh, on what the survey was about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it was an impact survey um, really designed to give us a better understanding of how advance is affecting the lives of its users as well as, I guess, to an extent, the way they view their company and affiliate with, you know, with our program and, and how that's, that's really translated to their everyday lives. And it was a great, very surprising, but great, great series of answers that we received. It's rare that we get this deep of an insight into what our customers experience post using our products. I guess I can share some of, some of the main things that really stood out to me and made me very proud as a founder, because when we built this company, it was really for the monetary opportunity in lending, but we very soon realized that there was such a social aspect to this that you know, we couldn't ignore and that's, and then we ended up writing more on that. So I guess some of the, the big things to us that stood out, I say us, because really when I shared this with our team, we were all so taken aback and proud of what, what we had accomplished. I mean, on the user level, but you know, I, I mentioned this earlier that 89% of our customers, and this is validated through the survey had no prior access to, to a loan, like the one provided by advance, which is a credit line. Um, and again, very aligned with, uh, the market um, stat of Filipinos only having 2% access to credit cards. 92% of our clients said that they 
couldn't find a better alternative to what we offered and it improved their quality of life. So that is really huge for us knowing that, you know, literally well, almost all of our customers felt that A, it was really hard to find something better than, than what we're providing and that by using us, they actually, their lives actually improved. You know, as employees, and obviously this is something that employers are grateful for, 78% reported levels of stress decreased both at work and at home. Um, I think there's a very high correlation between having, you know, financial problems and then having to bring that to the office. And now with the work from home, it's, it can actually be even trickier because you can't separate the two. And that same, same number of, of employees also improved both, shared the, the advance improved both the number and quality of meals, which again, it makes you really think about what you're able to give to these individuals. The fact that they now have an access, access to a credit line that's worth about half a month's salary has improved the number of meals and the quality of meals that they're able to have at home. Maybe two more really insightful learnings. 93% reported the ability to manage their finances better, with 53% of those saying that their savings balance increased. So ironic, right, that they're borrowing, but their savings has increased. And this, our hypothesis is that they are getting funds from informal sources that are probably charging them so much more and advances allow them to maybe pay down these debts and started to actually save, you know, what would be going into someone else's pocket. Um, and the last important point, because we operate as a B2B2C, is that 71% of our users said that the perception of the company they worked for improved. So we speak to companies when we pitch to them talking about how advance can really help with retention and engagement um, and recruitment even. And the fact that, you know, the vast majority of our users had a more positive perception of their companies because of, you know, this type of benefit, you know, really shows that we are putting um, our money where our mouth is. These are superlative findings. Truly impressive. You and your team should be kudos to you guys. Really proud of this, these kinds of results. I don't think this is very common. Specifically, like the, the savings one, uh, almost 50%. Reporting an increase in savings is it's surprising, but it's also not surprising because we have seen this in microfinance, right? Where cash flow smoothing and decreasing the cost of your debt has actually had improvements in, in overall income as well as savings. So in some ways, I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I had not expected something like that from an earned wage access model. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. And as you were speaking, I actually thought about other reasons. I mean, aside from paying off high interest, that it, it really could be a lot of the penalties they get from paying bills late, or, or you know, which which is which is one of the biggest use cases for advance on our platform. I mean, bills payments, and yeah, so these are really indirect uh, benefits that we weren't expecting either. Did you have any findings on? Further needs, new products, because I know when we started this conversation, you see Advance as a, as a multi-product platform. It's not just about credit. And maybe this is where you started, but what, are, what findings where you feel like you're going to use that for your journey ahead? Yeah, I mean, this really encouraged us to, you know, explore the non-credit, non-credit products, starting obviously with savings and insurance. Right now, the team is actually validating savings. Uh, because 
I think it hits both customers, both the employer and the employee, you know, quite well. And all the more now that we know having a credit product that could actually increase savings, um, if we can provide them with, you know, a mechanism to increase their earnings through some sort of savings program that, that we have, I mean, that would be amazing. And so we're, we're actually working on things like that right now. And, and you think this would be both in, in both your markets or are you starting in the Philippines? We're validating in the Philippines, uh, but I don't see why we couldn't do it in Vietnam as well, where the banking infrastructure, I think, is actually more advanced than what we, we have here in the Philippines. So alongside the non-credit items, which really is part of our product plans as a company, I think there's also an opportunity for us to provide uh, you know, our, our, our customers with other forms of credit that can actually help them graduate um, you know, beyond this kind of short-term program. So there are, over the years, customers who have been with us since the beginning that are most likely deserving of higher credit amounts, longer tenors. And so these are things that we're also studying and validating and building credit models around. And it's, you know, it's, it's surveys like this that let us know how impactful we can really be and how much more we can potentially do. So while there are, are several non-credit products that we're focusing on today, I also think it's equally important to focus on the meaningful credit products that we can introduce to our, you know, good customers. Yeah, no, I think the needs are so varied and, and then customizing the solution for these unique needs is, is going to be the key to your growth and success. This has been actually really fascinating. And uh, I could ask you a lot more questions about what you're doing in advance. I want to step away from just this, from your company and, and, and think a little bit at a macro level, right? You've been a fintech entrepreneur now for a while. What would your advice be to other fintech entrepreneurs who maybe listen to this podcast, especially if they're building for this next generation of this workforce and thinking about the shift in future of work? How should these entrepreneurs be thinking? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned that you could share with them? Yeah, I mean, really good question. And, you know, for fintech in particular, I guess for entrepreneurship in general, Finding product market fit early is obviously really important. So you're not wasting a lot of time and resources trying to push something that the market actually doesn't want. And for, I guess, FitTech in particular and addressing a specific sector of, of the workforce, to really take into consideration how to reach that specific audience. Because certain markets, even though you are in FinTech, ironically, may be less savvy and you're going to have to find a non-tech solution to get in front of, in front of them. I guess at a, at a higher level, it's really identifying that meaningful problem you want to solve. I think for, again, any entrepreneur, that's, that's what's got to keep you going day in, day out, because it's, it's not an easy journey. Um, and we're still, as you said, Rahil, we're still in the early stages of, of, our, of our life cycle, even though we've been doing this for, you know, four years. As you build your product and with all of the new technology that's coming in, all of, all of the ideas that, that are easy to come by, how can you be differentiated and how can you be ultra reliable source of, of support to your end customer? And in the lending space, something that we're told from day one, don't ever underestimate the importance of credit. So I, those would be my big key takeaways for anyone, any entrepreneur, entrepreneur in fintech and entrepreneur in lending. Anything around customer behavior of this segment, perhaps slightly different from what more offline customers were, would engage with financial service providers? I, I think more than that, and I, I guess it's specific to our, to the B2B2C model, 
So for, for anyone considering that, that approach, I think like finding that value for your middle customer is super critical because without that, it's going to be that much harder to reach your end customer. And so as much as I can't talk about our end customer, I mean, even based on the survey results, like the inability to reach them at scale because of the model, like actually forced us to think about providing the same service or, or, or value to that middle B, which is why I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that finding that parallel and being able to look, identify some of those companies who, who have that intersect where they not only need benefits for employees, but also financial benefits for themselves are actually our perfect customer. No, I think that's, a, that's actually a really valuable insight because you know, we keep talking about the customer as the, as the individual taking the loan or the financial service product. But especially if you're an embedded player within in the HR tech space, the business or the, the employer becomes such a critical link in the chain that if you don't think of that customer's needs, you know, you're only as strong as your, your weakest link. So without that, without that key in the middle, you're not going to be able to get much done. No, I think that's really uh, important to highlight. And, and it's a great, it's a really valuable insight. Well, before we go, one last question, you know, I, I, I want to... If we were not, you know, not talking about fintech, not talking about HR tech, and you know, or entrepreneurship, if we were not doing this today, what would Jamie be doing? So I actually have two answers for this. One is like the complete non-work answer, which would be I'd live in a golf course today if I could. Like I, I, I got back into this into into golf during the pandemic, and you know, I've been investing a lot of time trying to improve my golf game. I didn't realize how much I enjoy the journey and even if it's really been brutal at times, but it's something that like I can see myself doing day in, day out. But from a, if I had to actually earn, earn, earn an income and, and kind of build a career, I love startups. I was a corporate guy for 16 years, but in the end, I always had this entrepreneurial itch. And if I can't be an entrepreneur by virtue of this question, I still would want to be in this space. So I'd probably try to find my way into VC. I love learning from the different founders, seeing all of these new models that may work, seeing how people think about the world very differently from, I, from, from the way I do and what problems they see. And of course, those unique solutions, which sometimes it's really just surprising how, how people come up with certain things. So I would, I would probably be in, be in VC if, if I had to kind of step away from this. Jamie, I think uh, this, has been, this has been awesome, fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on and, and, and giving us your perspective and, and sharing with us you know, your journey in advance and really appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully the next time we meet, we'll probably be on a golf course somewhere where you'll be showing me the ropes on how to get my golf game up. Thank you, guys. Next week, we head to India to hear from Supriya Paul, co-founder of Josh Talks, who has experience building a platform for India's youth. I'll be asking her about her insights into the aspirations and desires of this new emerging workforce and how Josh Talks' platform is providing for these needs. <laughs>